It's Dan and Tyler here for Anime Degens Episode 4. Episode 4 might sound a little different as Bass is out of town and wasn't able to join us this week. Regardless, the show must go on. In this week's podcast, we'll take our first look at Campfire Cooking in Another World, dive into this week's rundown, and recap from our favorite Attack on Titan episodes from Season 4. Tyler, man, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just uh, straight up chilling. Uh, I also heard uh, rumors that Hunter Hunter manga is permanently done. Uh, Shonen Jump magazine apparently put it in archives. And that's what I heard on Twitter. What did, have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I heard the same thing. And I'm kind of bumming, you know, actually a couple of weeks ago. I think it was the first episode. I was really excited because it had started up again. And I was hoping they were going to be able to finish the story, but it just looks like his health ain't health isn't hanging on, man. So that's that's sad news. But who knows? Maybe down the line he'll find somebody to help him animate it, and they can get the Hunter <laughs> Hunter manga done. We can only dream in hopes for the anime to continue. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, at this point they they wouldn't pick up. There's I don't think there's enough of an arc done yet. You know? Yeah, sir. Um, also, don't you have a new show that you've seen? Yeah, so I actually just saw this on Twitter and I watched the trailer on YouTube. It's this new show coming out next month called Mashal, Magic and Muscle. So it's like One Punch Man meets Black Clover meets Harry Potter. It's like the main character, Mash, basically he is somebody who can't use magic in like Harry Potter world. So he somehow gets accepted into this school's, this universe's Hogwarts and he decides that he's just going to dominate the competition with pure muscle, baby. Like our boy freaking Saitama. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> so the show's called Mashal. And the character's name is Mash, right? Yeah. So is this like a is this like a thing between Mash and Muggle? I don't know, man. I was calling a Muggle, Muggle Punch Man all week. So we'll yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> I'm kind of excited for this, honestly, now. Definitely, dude. Yeah, it looks like a fun <laughs> show. I mean, it looks like your standard like shonen tropes in it, so it should be a good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. Honestly, awesome. You want to get into our first look for this week? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we decided to watch an isekai that um, sounded fun, sounded different. It's called Campfire Cooking in Another World. So basically. Makoto Tsuyoshi, I can't talk today, I like y'all, along with three other heroes, is transported into a fantasy world to rescue a kingdom from a mysterious threat. However, it soon becomes clear that Tsuyoshi has been dragged into the summoning ritual by accident. Basically, this show is this dude, just this like 27-year-old salary man, just gets pulled from his life, right? And he ends up in this circle with all these people. And they all have these badass powers. Like one can wield a holy sword. The two girls with them can use like crazy forms of magic. And then he gets the praise and his power is online grocery. Online grocery. Hell <laughs> yeah, brother. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get a little more into that. But he kind of realizes that he's not OP and he's not the hero type. So he kind of just asks the kingdom like, hey, man, can I just go live a normal life? And that's that's what we get into. And they they agree like very fast as they see that he's pretty much useless or they think he is. So awesome. And the first episode, you know, he's walking around in a suit and tie in this fantasy world. He just looks super out of place. So he thinks to himself, he's like, I got to get out of here, man. I got to get I got to get some normal looking clothes. 
get out of here, go to a new country before people realize that I am, you know, somebody from another world. And what he does to do that is he hires this party of secret adventurers to take him from one kingdom to another. And that's where things get a little wonky. Do you want to get into that, Tyler? Yeah. And before we start, uh, I, I caught myself wondering how he actually got so much money to begin with, because he has to have money to pay for these adventure adventurers and uh, all this other stuff that he's doing. But apparently it doesn't tell till later on that he received around 200,000 yen worth of hush money to <laughs> stay quiet as he, when he left the uh, party, the King's presence. Yeah. So, basically the yeah. King was like, Hey, here's uh 20 gold coins. Good luck, man. Yeah. I'm embarrassed by you. Just get out of here. Don't say nothing. But, uh, yeah, um, he, uh, they decide to leave, um, and he's not really sure why he learns that everybody's trying to leave as well. And it comes to find out that the starting country, which I'm not sure the name of, I don't even know if it says it or not, but they're trying to start wars with everyone for some odd reason. Um, do you know anything about that, Dan? Yeah, so basically it turns out that the king in charge of the first kingdom that they're in, whose name is also escaping me, basically wants to expand his rule. And because of that, they are closing down the border soon. They're taking all the young men to enlist them in the army, things like that. So Mukota definitely made the right choice trying to get out of this place, you know? And he didn't even know it, you know, (laughs) until later. (laughs) Yeah, but basically he hires this group of uh, heroes. There's Vincent, who's a swordsman, Werner from Iron Will, which is a badass name, who's kind of the head of the party, Rita, who's a scout, Raman, who is a mage, Franca, who's a healer, and uh, they get going on their journey. You know, they were nice enough to walk him over the border. Obviously, he, he paid him about eight gold coins, I think it was. Yeah, it was like an outrageous amount because everybody was wanting a. Uh you know, to get out the higher adventurers like themselves. So, and basically what he does is he offers to cook every meal for him too, to get him, uh, get bribe him a little further to get him over the border. So the first thing we do, like we see is them stop for lunch and with his online grocery ability, which is basically just Amazon, you know, he orders <laughs> stuff. He inserts his cash into a magic little portal. Then all of a sudden a box just pops up next to him, which is really funny. And he cooks them these delicious looking sandwiches and these guys don't even know what hit them because they've never had anything this good. They've never had modern ingredients. They've never had sauces. They've never had like real bread that isn't like hard as a rock. And it just blows these guys away. And basically the entire first episode is just these guys getting excited for different meals. I think that's like the first that two the, episodes. That's maybe. the first two know. episodes. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, uh, it, During, it's not interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then like later on, they you know, they keep advancing, obviously. And there's a little bit of um I wouldn't even call it action scenes, just like little fight scenes where oh it's done already. Um it just shows them there and then it shows them being killed, I guess. Um but then a big wolf, it's called a fin finra. I'm I'm not sure it's just uh, a huge wolf. Uh, comes and smells uh, Mukota's food and wants to try some of it. So he cooks a bunch for this uh, 
Wolf, and he actually ends up making a contract with him, makes him his familiar, as long as he feeds him three times a day, <laughs> is what he says. So now they proceed along to the next country, and they get they get to the gates of the next country with this big like this wolf is humongous, bro. Um, what what happens at the gate? Yeah, I mean when they get to the gate, this uh, the other town is terrified. Which is hilarious because, I mean, Fenrir, who becomes named Fell with this contract. Yeah, Fell. One of the most powerful beings in this fantasy world. Like, he fights dragons <laughs> for fun. Like, he is goaded, right? And um, basically, this town is terrified of him because he is a fabled, you know, multi-thousand-year-old beast who has just destroyed towns, destroyed nations. And now he's just you know, contracted up with this little dweeb because he can cook. <laughs> and it's it's actually so crazy because throughout this episode, uh, I think Makoto uh, keep, keeps on saying that he wants to keep a low profile. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? How are you going to keep a low profile with this huge wolf now? Yeah, I mean, he didn't have much of a choice to not make the contract, you know? Yeah, I mean, if he said he no, he probably would have been eaten. there's a 100% chance that he could have been eaten Um, so I mean besides that I mean I think that's all we really got to Um, I think they got past that a little bit yeah Uh, he joined the adventurers guild and he joined the merchants guild basically his plan is that he can use the adventurers guild to have them cut up all these beasts that fell hunts and then he can sell stuff through the merchants guild and that's pretty much all we've gotten so far besides that it's just been a lot of cooking and a lot of hunting scenes there was one hunting montage that had me cracking up it was a, there was a scene in episode three where mukota makes fell like a5 wagyu steaks and they're, they're the greatest thing you know fell has ever had in his life but after the fact, he's like, man, I'm feeling good right now. So uh, Makoto goes to appraise him. He has an appraisal skill and sees that he has a 50% buff on all his stats from just eating a steak. <laughs> <laughs> I would too, honestly. Eating five of them? Like, give me some of that. Dude, Wagyu is good, man. Uh-oh. So after this, Fel just goes on like this like five-minute-long hunting montage. It just takes down all these like A-tier and S-tier beasts. And just royally fucks him up. It's probably the most entertaining fights of the entire show so far. I mean, I've only seen three episodes, but he he goes in, man. Lightning magic, claws, takes on like an orc general, like all these crazy beasts. And Makoto's sleeping this whole time. <laughs> yeah. But when, when he says entertaining fights, he doesn't mean they're like actually entertaining. It's just like it's the best fights we've seen so far. They also get one shot though, but yeah. Well, he, you know, he is a legendary beast <laughs> yeah. with a fifty percent stat buff. I mean, the, the dude is basically the strongest creature in the world at that point. But I was more saying it was entertaining just because you could see yeah. how much fun Fell was having. Oh, he was having lots of fun, bro. <laughs> and- so at the at the end of this whole thing, Mukota just wakes up with like a pile of like fifty dead monsters next to him. He's terrified. <laughs> And that that's another thing. Like one of his uh skills, uh powers that he got is a storage box or something that he can just like put items into and they stay there and they don't um uh ruin or nothing else. And I'm just like 
this, he puts all them animals into it. And I don't think it has a limit. I think it's unlimited. Yeah, imagine like your Skyrim inventory just did you didn't get over encumbered. That's basically the item box he has. So he's got like three I giant guess. snakes, eight orcs, an orc general, like three of these giant rock birds, all these animals just inside of this box when he shows up back to the adventures guild to have him um basically they have a guy there who can process the animals and get all the good items and all the meat and everything like that. And by the time he was done selling all the stuff and keeping all the meat, he made like 200 gold in one night. <laughs> yeah, it's like his 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 skills are very broken as far as money making goes. If he wanted to, he could just, you know, go hide somewhere and chill, which I don't understand why he's not doing. But he wants to. What does he say? Like uh, he wants to uh, like explore the world or something like that. So. Yes. So basically, his plan is just to be a traveling merchant, get a little stall yeah. that he brings around, and sell all these things that he gets from fell hunting. And uh, he actually found out that his online grocery power is incredibly broken economically. Like he buys salt and pepper for like I don't know twenty bronze coins or something like that, twenty silver coins, and he turns it around and flips it for twenty gold, which is like. <laughs> a ten thousand percent increase in value just from using his little online store power. So he's kind of got it made. Like it's honestly like low key such a broken ability that isn't good for anything besides making cash. And well, to, speaking of that, like I got a question. Like, do we think Mukata will be could be an asset like to the starting kingdom or overall world in the future? And they they say something about a mysterious threat. Which we do not have no idea what it is. Um, uh, but do you actually think that he would be an asset? I mean, With yeah. If, if if you look at his ability to buy things that are not commonly found in that world, I mean, the dude goes on a steak sauce binge and buys like seventeen different flavor steak sauces. Like you can't get that in an old fantasy world. So like his his ability is really broken, and I think if it was abused it could be a game changer for a kingdom, but that's exactly what he's trying to avoid, which is why he's trying to keep this low profile, you know? And, and like another thing, um, all this food that he gets, which Dan mentioned earlier, it, most of it has like buffs to it. It buffs some kind of stats, uh, depending on what it is. It depends on how much of a buff it gets. So imagine if you could like mass produce uh, food for an army that has stat buffs added to it. That would be kind of OP, honestly. I, I didn't even think about that. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you could just wagyu stakes for days for an entire military, dude, Imagine. you literally just buffed your, your fighting power one and a half times right there Especially alone. If you got somebody like Fel, you know, as uh, familiar. I mean, I'm assuming Fel would be with him and would fight for whatever side he's on. So it's kind of interesting. If yeah, only there was like a uh, actual like plot or action happening, you know, this would uh be kind of interesting. Yeah, it could be something to see where it goes, but I don't know, man. After I w- I watched three episodes and I felt like it just didn't go anywhere. How about you? Yeah, I'm the same. Like like I said, the animation is great. Um the it, intro I thought was pretty good. Um Yeah. I thought, I mean, the animation is Mappa, so I yeah, mean that's that's, that's, that's always top tier stuff, you know. And that's surprising to have a show like this be from Mappa, you know. Um, 
but I, I thought it had a lot of potential, but I don't think it capitalized on any of it, honestly, so far. It could change in the future. I don't know. Um, it's basically just uh, the main character feeding different people and his familiar. Um, mountains of meat. So, yeah, basically. Just mountains will, of meat. <laughs> I will say that he kind of explains, like, I, I do like that he kind of explains what he's doing as he's cooking. So, that, that's kind of uh, a plus, though. I guess kind of just gives out the recipes, sort of. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to learn to cook at a convenience store level, this is your show. Yeah. So after seeing about three, three, four episodes, like me and you have, well, what you gonna rate this? Um, I'm gonna give it a four out of ten, dude. I yeah. really needed a little more out of it. Um, I think it's something that I might come back to when season like one is done and see, see if it gets any better but at this time man it's not something i'm going to keep watching yeah uh same goes for me i'd probably give it like a high three after four episodes um if it actually showed some action in it uh besides uh what we did see what little we did see uh then maybe the other heroes fighting or something i might have you know be uh inclined to watch more but right now it's uh it's a hard pass for me so. Yeah, I mean, like, I laughed at it a lot. Like, there were some funny parts, but at this time, I don't think I, I'm, I'm going to continue putting myself through it. If I want to watch a cooking show, I'll go watch Food Wars or something on the Food Network, you know? Yeah, I, I understand completely. It's, it's a, I think it's a pass for both of us then. Yep. Bass would probably, uh, it would, he would probably keep it around, honestly. Bass does love cooking. He does yeah. his cooking streams on the weekend. Like he might be into this, man. I don't know. He might be like, I'm gonna start cooking, cooking, uh, cooking dishes from the show. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I think that's our um, thoughts on campfire cooking in another world. Um, we want to get to the weekly rundown. Dan? Let's get to the rundown. Let's do it. Oh yeah. So on this week's weekly rundown. We'll have One Piece 1053, My Hero 134, and also Buddy Daddy's Episode 8. There will be spoilers for each show in this segment. If you haven't seen it already, now is your time to pause the podcast and watch it or skip ahead to our Attack on Titan segment. Uh, you want to let them know to people what's up, Dan, for the next few weeks of uh, episode? Yeah, so uh, like we mentioned last week, uh, One Piece is actually going on a break for the next two weeks. So in, obviously we're not going to have a One Piece episode, but thankfully we are getting an hour-long episode of Attack on Titan this Friday, March 3rd. And I think that is going to be enough content to easily make up for a first look and our One Piece you know, review or episode review for that week. Like I think we're going to really dive into that pretty heavy. AOT has been the show that... It's probably one of the best shows the last 10 years, you know, so I think we're going to dive into that pretty heavy. Hence why we're doing the recaps in a bit. Yeah. But uh, we are going to start with One Piece 1053. The episode is titled Sanji's Mutation, The Two Arms in Crisis. So Queen's unforeseen move stuns everyone on the performance floor, and then he goes on to utilize another special technique, which can break every bone in Sanji's body. On the verge of crisis, Sanji feels something strange again. So, Tyler, do you want to give us a little recap of what actually happened in this episode? 
Well, we we start off. It starts off with Momo um, and Yamato. Uh, he's over here trying to make flame clouds again, and Yamato basically says that she she tells him that um, there's a bunch of uh, bombs, or like a basically a bomb underneath the Onigashimas. Uh, so she has to leave to go take care of that while Yamato, uh, Momo keeps trying to make these flame clouds, which he's struggling very hard to do. Uh, would, uh, do you think that Yamato and, uh, Momo is going to succeed in their mission? Yeah. So it's kind of, so what Yamato brings up is that basically there's a massive armory under the main floor of Onigashima, which is like just full of weaponry. And if the island does fall, say Kaido is beaten, his flame clouds stop, and the island does fall, it is a ticking time bomb waiting to like literally blow up the entire flower capital. This just brings like a whole different amount of urgency to Momo learning how to actually create flame clouds that aren't just for him to fly on and you know maintain the altitude of the island and bring it down slowly. So um, I both think they have a pretty hard job in front of them. I mean, Momo is yeah as always, just a train wreck. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if he can actually pull this off. But I mean, every time we've seen Momo put in a situation where he needs to get the job done, he eventually does. So I'm sure he'll figure it out. Well, I think it helps a lot as well that uh, Yamato literally tells him that, um, you know, because uh, Odin, you know, s- sacrificed his life to save uh, Wano back in the day. Now it's his turn to save Wano. Is he going to step up and do it? And I think that really uh, hit home for him. Um, and she says that she's Odin and that she believes in him. And so I think that he's going to push past it. And he does later on and starts making clouds. But will it be enough? We don't know yet. So. He's going he's gonna to push past his limits. Yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Yamato, Yami? Yeah, yeah, Bass is in here so you can make Black Clover references. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. He always cries a little bit this episode, so... He's he's just more worried than anything, you know? He's worried that he's not going to be able to pull it off. I mean, I can't blame him. That's his entire, like... That's the capital city of his home country down there, so I can't really blame him for being terrified, but... We'll see, man. We'll see if he pulls it off. Yeah, another big thing to happen this week, which wasn't a lot of things to happen, but Cypher Poe uh, gets a call from Rob Lucci. Remember Rob Lucci? Yeah, I remember yeah. Rob real well. He's got that dog in him, dude. The Jaguar Jaguar fruit is aw- or the cat cat fruit Jaguar type is awesome, yeah, yeah. man. And seeing him come back, you know he's going to have a much bigger role down the line now that he is in Cypher Pole, what, zero instead of Nine yeah. is he in originally? I can't remember. Is, was he like top dog of Cypher Pole right now? He's up there. He's up yeah. there. He's definitely working right for the world government. So, yeah, but basically, he tells them that he's got orders from above, uh, two of them. Um, that if Kaido loses Wano, um, it's if Kaido loses, then Wano is to be placed under direct control of the government. Um, we actually learned that they have sent ships to Wano as we they're sending ships. To Wano as we speak right now, which is uh is a big uh statement, honestly. So Yeah, I mean Wano's just been they've been cut off from the world for so long. It'd be interesting to see how they would 
react to the navy storming the storming the shores i guess you know yeah. and i th- i think that their comment on nico robin was just massive i mean it just really mm-hmm. goes to show how big of a role she plays in the finding of the one piece because she's literally the only one person left you can poneglyphs so i mean the world government is still trying to get her kaido's trying to get her everybody's after nico robin and luffy's really lucky to have her on the crew you know luffy's got his hands full honestly yeah and the thing is is like if if luffy and the star has do somehow um you know defeat kaido in the future they have to look forward to well they don't know yet but they are gonna have to look forward to meeting the navy coming and the uh cypher pole attacking them as well to try to at least take robin no matter what and to you know take over wano so yeah definitely and i know that like the whole goal of this raid essentially is to open the the borders for wano but um i don't think they wanted to go about it this way with the navy coming in and essentially setting up like a uh military rule you know so it'd be interesting to see how wano would actually react to that and the sam and momo if it does happen yeah it would be interesting to see if they have what it takes to uh you know uh defend wano after kato if you know kato gets defeated so uh yeah one thing this episode really made me think about too is just how like oddballish the the crew of the you know luffy's crew is between nico <laughs> robin who can read poneglyphs you got cyborg frankie uh zoro who's potentially like some descendant from wano hence his crazy ass like movements we've been talking about and all the resemblances to uh one of the past daimos and we learn a lot more about sanji in this episode too so yeah um, as this episode continues sanji is fighting queen and basically getting his ass kicked you know and through it, Sanji continues to realize that he's gaining more powers, like regenerative abilities. You know, he can literally in this episode, he gets his bones and organs crushed and he just starts hitting himself and putting his body back together. Like, yeah, it's crazy uh, to see, you know, it's crazy. It's one of those things. But if you I mean, if you think back to Sanji, he is one of the crown princes of the Germa double six empire essentially and uh you know he was genetically modified as a kid but his genetic modifications just didn't they didn't work or or so we thought so watching this it's like holy cow sanji is awakening these german double six powers and he ends up terrified you know i mean there's a scene where he literally is just standing there like shocked and queen takes a sword and literally just tries to cut his head off and the sword just shatters yeah it's it's honestly crazy because this is what Sanji don't want to happen. He says in the uh the at the end of the episode, uh, I don't want to become a monster because that's all he's you know tried not to do is not to become like his brothers and sisters. Yeah, I mean you go back and if you remember during Whole Cake Island, you get a lot of Sanji's backstory, and his brothers were literally just like emotionless robots killing machines and you know sanji doesn't have that going for him and he's really worried that that's going to be what happens to him now that he's starting to awaken these powers do you think that's actually going to happen to sanji as the story continues or do you think he'll be able to overcome that and maintain his persona well 
I don't know what's going to happen really, but I do know one thing. I know that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stand to see Sanji not try to hit on Robin and Nami all the time. And that's one thing that would disappear if he did become like, uh, his brother, his siblings. Um, so I'm really hoping that Sanji learns how to cope with his newfound, uh, dormant powers from German 006. Um, that's, I mean, I'm just hoping, man, because we, we got, we got to keep Sanji. He's precious, man. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they can tone it down a little bit. There's some, there's some points when it's like, all right, dude, you shouldn't die of blood loss because you saw a beautiful mermaid, man. Come on. So maybe they know, can, maybe this will tone it down a little bit. That'd be nice. Well, I mean, sure. Hoshi. Uh-huh. She bad. I mean, she's also <laughs> giant. He's got a tail. So I don't know how that works for him, but. I guess he'd figure it out, bro. Whatever he's into, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Do you feel like uh, this episode was kind of a good jumping off point for this two-week break, or do you think they could have potentially ended it at a better spot? Well, I felt like like nothing really too big happened. Um, so uh, I think it kind of ended on a decent um, note because we did see a little bit about Sanji and what's going on with him. Uh, I think it could have been better. I'm just hoping that after the two week break, that the pacing steps up, which is what we've been complaining about for the last few weeks. It feels like <laughs> the pacing is so slow and nothing really happens. And once again, it's true. Nothing really happened in this episode, to be honest. So, yeah, one piece is that show that like you don't know. You don't notice it when you binge it. Like, say you're catching up. Like, I never noticed pacing issues when I was trying to watch it the first time. Because I could skip a lot of stuff. I could skip all the recaps and all that and blaze through it. But now that you're watching a week to week, it's definitely a little more noticeable. But I thought it was a pretty good jumping off point. I mean, they left you in a nice cliffhanger with Sanji's last words being, I don't want to become a monster. And then you just yeah. a classic One Piece to be continued. Yeah, that was... Uh, I mean, we'll find out. Uh, like I said, I really don't think that he will become a monster. He'll find his way out of it. He has yeah. to for Luffy. Him. Oh, definitely. So, if not, Luffy will just beat the crap out of him until he's back yeah. normal. Because that's that's what Luffy does. That's how he solves his problems. <laughs> <laughs> As we've seen back in uh, uh with uh Usopp. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want the ship? Come take it, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what do we think? Uh, that it for One Piece this week? Yeah, I thought it was a really good episode. Uh, you ready to jump into My Hero Academia one thirty four? Yes, sir. Perfect. So the name of this episode was The Lovely Lady Najin. During Deku's fight with Lady Najin, she tells him secrets about the Hero Society that further solidify his resolve to help those who need his help. Um, so basically, this fight continues on. The last episode is an absolute banger. Like, my hero right now is just hitting, hitting its stride, in my opinion. You know, like I've said for the last three weeks, I think. Um, basically, Deku continues his fight on with Lady Najin. Um, there's a point where All Might is trying to drive to where Midoriya last was because his tracking device phone, whatever you want to call it, was broken. And he gets stopped by some villains. And his resolve in this scene is really awesome because it flashes back to when All Might, Deku, and his mom, Deku's mom, were in their apartment and All Might was like, I'll do whatever it takes to protect your son, blah, 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 blah. 
Yeah, I think and we've it, seen that uh, uh, specific flashback in the, a couple weeks ago as well. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it just it's all All Might wants to do now is protect the latest user of All for One or One for All. I keep doing. It. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've done that like ten times as we so talk about this show. They're just so close in names, man. But um, basically, All Might stands up to these villains who are trying to stop him, and it was a really awesome scene. You know. All Might is basically just a bag of bones at this point, and to still have the determination and character to do that, uh, it, 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 you know, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the, I mean, they the villains that are sent to stop him, I don't even think they knew that they were sent to stop All Might. Um, they acted like they were surprised when All Might stepped out. So, oh yeah, uh, they were definitely they were definitely like, "Holy shit, it's All Might!" But then they kind like, of oh, look at him yeah. and they're like, "Oh, it's All Might." Yeah, he's nothing anymore. But, I mean, he proves them wrong, like you said. So, it's interesting seeing that. Um, so, with that being said, uh, you, you know, All Might standing up to the villains. Uh, so, we move on to the fight against uh, Lady Nagent. Um What's going on with that, Dan? Yeah, so, uh, we kind of we kind of talked about this. I think it was two weeks ago. We were talking about how Deku's unlocked all his new quirks, and we were curious what the next one was going to be. And let me tell you guys, we we hit the nail on the head this one. Um, we were talking about how Deku needs like a speed and power buff, and his new quirk Fa Jin basically lets him build up kinetic energy in his body, in a, say in a limb, and use that to create more power, more speed. And I mean, this is going to be the one that puts him over the top. I think. What about you? Yeah. Um... I didn't I didn't know what to expect really, but this one right here, like he's uh, he's been using Black Whip to uh move uh fast, but this one this uh new Fodge in, like it's actually like a really cool uh speed buff. And he's actually faster than a bullet as we see now. Um and I think it's gonna if he can harness uh the ability to use multiple at the same time, like they was talking about uh, earlier on in the show. And I think these powers used together is going to make him uh, someone to be feared by villains. Yeah, definitely. We see it earlier in this episode. He tries to use one for all black whip and smoke all in unison, and he just can't handle it. But I mean, in the literally in the tw- 20 minutes of this episode, in this one fight, he learns how to handle multiple quirks just like that. He uses Fajin, Black Whip, One for All, and like yeah. th- Danger Sense all in unison. And he ends up taking down Lady Najin. And in her desperation, she actually fires a bullet at Shisaki Overhaul. You guys remember that he's up on the roof. I mean, the dude is a broken shell of himself, but yeah. she fires a bullet at him, knowing that Deku, being the hero that he is, is going to try and save Chisaki and that seeing him die would probably give her an advantage. And but, I just want to point out that I called that last week. If y'all oh, remember, definitely, I that. <laughs> definitely. But so Deku uses all these quirks in unison and he comes up with his new attack all for one foe 100%. So basically this is him saying like, this is me at, uh, at a fake version of 100% by using the kinetic energy he builds up with Fajin in unison with 45% all for one. And the man is zooming. Like, 
just like Tyler said, he's literally faster than a speeding bullet. And he can get to Chisaki. He can outrun a bullet and save Chisaki. This just literally like... I don't know. I don't want to say gives her hope. But like Lady Najat seeing this just absolutely like blows her mind. Yeah, she wasn't aware that he had multiple powers either. So it kind of caught her off guard as well. Um, and then we get to... Uh, he saved... Like you said, he saves her... But he's using his brains to outsmart Lady Najin, and that's one of Deku's, you know, main abilities, honestly, is to use his brains to um, outsmart villains. So that was, that was fun to see him take advantage of. Definitely. Do you think uh, with this new one for all, foe 100%, do you think Deku's at full power now, or do you think he's going to evolve past this point? I think he's definitely going to have all past this because we still got one one power that we haven't seen yet. So um, true. But this uh, one, uh, this fake one hundred percent, he can use that and not damage his body so much. Uh, so which is really exciting. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think that. Like, I mean, if you think about it, the max he can use of one for all right now is forty five percent. So imagine him combining full power one hundred percent one for all with this quirk like it is so broken yeah it is and uh we we see it in this episode um honestly uh, yeah dude just add another 65 percent to the the og one for all and see what happens oh my god it's kind of got me thinking like it's the next quirk that he's gonna receive is that gonna like better fortify his body is it gonna be a quirk that fortifies his body to withstand um you know a higher power that would be I don't interesting know, man. so definitely yeah i think he's got to start doing 100 push-ups 100 sit-ups and running 10 kilometers every day to get that side to my flow going on you know he ain't got time bro <laughs> he ain't got time he might lose all his hair while he's at it <laughs> uh so, so go ahead I was to say, what did you think about the effects of this fight on Lady Najin? Do you think that she is going to uh, turn to the side of the heroes, or do you think she is going to go rot in a jail cell again? Well, uh, we see towards the end um, that she does help out the heroes, but uh, I think it's because that she believes in Deku's uh, ways um because he has a way of changing people or whatever uh but will she um actually move to the side of the heroes um i'm not i'm not so sure just yet uh i don't know if she can be really trusted to move back to the side of the heroes but deku seems to think that she's worthy enough uh to be trusted yeah definitely And I think the scene, too, with Hawks uh, catching her, even though he can't fly because his wings haven't regenerated yet and talking to her solidified that for me, too, because he's like, hey, I'm just like you and I'm still here fighting for the side of good. Like, why aren't you? You know? Yeah, I think he said uh, I think she said something like uh, why. And he said that he had a uh, someone he looked up to, basically, and it showed him like a flashback of him holding his little endeavor uh toy so that was that definitely was a neat throwback so yeah this the show's been really good at tying past stories into and like you know every every character's development into the forefront of it over and over again 
I think that is one of the things that like My Hero Academia just just does such a good job on. And uh, you you know we uh, we said all this stuff, but uh, there we we haven't really said who wins the fight yet. So want to get True. into that? Dan? <laughs> yeah. So in in the end, uh, Deku does come out on top. Midoriya is number one. Yeah. He uh, takes her down with this newfound ability. Um, it just I mean, if you've seen the episode, you know how awesome this fight was. This it was quick, but it was super super fun. And, and I definitely some, recommend if you haven't watched it yet, go do it. And some might say that Deku uh, surpasses limits again. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love this uh, a lot. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Anything else you got for my hero this week? I think we kind of it was kind of a it was a lot more action, so it wasn't a lot of substance. But I enjoyed that. That was awesome. We needed that. Yeah. Another thing. One more thing I got is that like. Uh, during their fight, um, Deku's and um, Lady Najin's deck after Lady Najin tells her history, kind of like a um, Deku kind of realizes that uh, the world isn't black and white like he's always uh, believed, it's more of like a gray. He says, What do you think that means for the future of like the way he does things, the sees the world now? Yeah, you know, I think I think he's been kind of getting to that conclusion over and over again with everything watching, you know, seeing how society has just kind of taken this crazy turn. But um you're kind of seeing it now instead of acting under like the leadership of a hero, these guys are all kind of going rogue and just trying to do their best to take out all for one. So I think they're kind of in that gray realm right now, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm like a, like you said earlier, uh, this uh, arc is probably one of my favorite arcs to date. So we finally get to see um, all the not so um, happy, cheerful sides of My Hero Academia. So definitely, I'm curious to see if we're going to get a, an episode that focuses on the school again soon, or if we're just going all in on. <laughs> I kind of hope it's the latter. I kind of hope we're going all in on this. Yeah. I guess we'll find out in the coming week. I think we got uh, um, probably like four or five more episodes, maybe. Is that I right? I think we that? have more than that. Um, so? Yeah, what episode in the season was this? I thought this was like 18. Okay, then we should have about nine more episodes. They usually do like 26, oh, 27 episodes. Okay. So quite a bit, okay. Awesome. Well, I think it's time we jump into our third weekly rundown show, Buddy Daddies. What do you think? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so this week, uh, Buddy Daddies episode eight, it's uh, called Nothing Seek, Nothing Find, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but uh, one day, Ray gets ready and leaves early. Kazuki and Miri bid him fare- farewell before departing on their own missions. Uh, Ray was summoned to his father's house for some family business, it turns out. Uh, so, what uh, what do you think about Ray finally getting called home? Yeah, this was, I mean, I kind of said it last week where I thought we'd be getting a big Ray episode. And sure enough, we got a banger Ray episode. Uh, basically, Ray's father, who I don't know if they ever gave his name. Um, I don't basically, think so either. He is the leader of the. I'm spacing on their last name now. 
a Sua family, Sua uh, family, yeah, assassination Which is, business or something like that. Yeah, so the Suwa family is basically like the top pedigree family of assassins in the world. And what it does is basically Ray's father calls him back saying, hey, I want you to come home. It's time you learn how to run the family business. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, it goes into whole the whole backstory between Ray and his father having a bit of a falling out and Ray deciding that he needs to go out into the real world. And try and find himself. And that's when he partners up with Kazuki. And this whole crazy story gets started. And uh, also, uh, I will note that apparently that's the first time he's been home in three years. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I think him and Kazuki have been working together for a while now before, before Miri enters the picture, you know. And uh, that's not all that's, uh, that his dad uh, gives him. Uh, while he's there, he also gives him a job. Apparently, someone has uh, someone amongst them has betrayed the family, uh, an old comrade of Ray's, so to speak. Um, so he get, he he tells him that he must eliminate uh, the betrayer. So, which is what we'll get into next. Yeah, this this really hurt for me, like emotionally watching this because. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the person who betrayed the organization was Ray's weapons master, who taught him how to shoot a gun, taught him how to fight with a knife, taught him how to fight with weapons. And um, the whole reason that he betrayed, quote, quote unquote, betrayed the organization was that he fell in love with a woman. That was it. And was planning on leaving the country to, you know, be with her. Mm-hmm. And that gets you thinking, like, has Ray betrayed the organization by, you know, falling in love with Miri and becoming, you know, a fatherly figure to her. And that just gets me really worried about where the story is going to go. And, you know, what's going to happen with the Ray Kazuki and Miri thing about that. Yeah. And, uh, like we learned like during this fight that, uh, his, uh, what'd you say is a uh, weapons master, basically. Is that what yeah. you said? Yeah. Uh, we learned that, he he says to Ray several times that he's like a robot and that um, he just follows orders and he's the perfect assassin is what he says. So um, do you think that this affected Ray um, to have his like weapon master, like a sensei kind of thing telling him all this? Um, No, because I mean, when he did know him, Ray was really mode you know it kind of goes into a flashback of when kazuki and ray first met and like ray is living literally in like the same apartment but there's just trash everywhere it's like he mess. doesn't take care of himself he doesn't he's just an emotionless machine who gets orders and goes and kills and i think even before miri came in kazuki had a pretty good what's the word i'm looking for like effect on him where he helped him kind of come into himself and become more of a person than just a mindless killing machine, you know? Yeah, I, I think that uh, Kazuki done a really good job before Miri came about. But I think Miri is actually pushing him either even f- further um, past um, that point, which we actually see after, uh, like, Ray. Uh, I, I'm gonna say accidentally. He he, because he does. He accidentally kills uh this uh guy. Um, I don't think he really meant to. Uh, he probably would have anyways. But uh, 
after it's all said and done, uh, he's sitting there thinking, um, you know, about what all that was said. And I think that he realizes that he can change. He actually said in there that he has somebody to protect now, too. So, yeah, definitely. I was going to say, I think mid fight, he actually says that he has something to protect himself now. And yeah, I mean, this is just having a direct, direct, like incredibly fast change of pace and race character development. I mean, he's growing so much as a person and becoming gaining some emotions and, you know, becoming a father figure for, father figure for Miri, which has been an awesome thing to watch. But it kind of gets you worried about what's happened because obviously it's going to get back to the box somehow, you know? Yeah. And, uh, um, another thing that I thought, thought was, uh, really weird is, uh, I'm not sure what he is, the chaperone, the henchman. I'm not sure the dude that drove uh raid to this place and stuff like that. He, he, he's got a weird, uh, I guess fetish. Uh, he collects last words apparently. And, at the end of it, uh, he asked Ray what he said, and Ray was like, I didn't hear him. And uh, he was like, um, you know, it would have it been just as fine if I would have got your last words instead of his. It didn't matter to me, as long as I got one. Yeah. That, that seemed kind of, like, weird, and... Uh, yeah, the dude's Kinda a scumbag, crazy. dude. Yeah. The dude is a scumbag. But no, Ray actually does hear his last words uh, yeah. of his mentor. And it's, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's like, I'll be with you soon. Because, you know, Ray does tell him that they've already killed his lover. And, you know, if you want to be with her, this is the way to do it, pretty much, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of sad um, as well. But, I mean, that's the way of their jobs, I guess, you know? definitely so. did you enjoy the fight scene overall i thought it was pretty awesome you don't see a lot of like classic hand-to-hand combat like this in the anime that i watch you know most of it's they've got some sort of power whether it's Nen or you know dragon ball z or naruto or anything like that you know? so it's kind of cool just to see some classic hand-to-hand combat yeah. guns blazing all that kind of stuff and plus uh we actually this is like the first time i think that we've actually seen uh, Ray getting his ass handed to him, like yeah. for the whole fight, he's basically losing. So, um, a stalemate or losing until the very end. So, yeah, I mean, they do say at one point Ray does say that he's never actually beaten him. So this is this is a big challenge for Ray, you know. And uh, as I said, uh, most time we see Ray come in guns blazing and just cleans up the job instantly. But he couldn't do this with this uh, with his uh, weapons master sensei, you know, guy, um, which was kind of fun to see as well. But I also think that the conversations that they had in the fight uh, was uh, important for Ray to hear. So, yeah, definitely. So after the fight, um, the henchman colleague, whatever we're going to call him, chaperone, sorry, basically (laughs) says, like, come on, get back in the car. We're going to go back to the house. and. Ray declines. He says, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sit here and walk this one out. And um, Ray gets a call from Kazuki, who just says, like, hey, man, I need some time, you know, is what he tells Kazuki. But little does he know that, you know, Kazuki set up his phone for him. Ray's clueless when it comes to anything besides video games and killing. So (laughs) which which is crazy. I mean, if you if you're like a video game nerd or whatever, then surely you know how to operate a phone, bro. Yeah, I mean, I think. 
because Yuki's got that find my find my iPhone app going and sure enough comes and picks him up. And when they're driving back, you know, they're just talking. But Ray is just sitting there. One word answer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But he just looks at Kazuki and says, do you think we can change? And um, that kind of hit home. You know, I mean, Ray is in a big juncture in his life. Like, do you think that he can become a better person and, you know, find something to care for and stuff like that? So uh, that moment for me was pretty, pretty meaningful, too. Yeah. And what do you uh... Like I, I kind of actually think that, I kind of actually think that he meant, um, that if he if they can get out of the business and become normal people, or that if they can't get out of the business, can they actually have a normal life? Uh, which is kind of, uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if either one of those are possible. So. Yeah, pretty tough to be an assassin and have a normal life. But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I think there's going to be a lot of conflict coming up between Rain and the organization, Ray Kazuki and Miri, in a sense, between them and the organization. And basically, the episode ends with this henchman going to the bar that the owner, who basically the guy who gives them jobs, owns. And um, Kiyu. I think his name's Kiyu. Kiyu? Okay. Yeah, I gives think so. Kiyu. Basically, this henchman gives Kiyu a job, essentially. And it's a picture of Kazuki and Miri, which is just kind of laying the groundwork for this massive bombshell coming of, you know, what's going to happen. Do you think uh, Kiyu is going to tell Ray and Kazuki that, like, the, the boss is looking at this? Or do you think he's going to do his job and respect his position with the organization? Well, I mean, the, the henchman also says during that that the organization trusts him um, completely. So, um it makes me think that if he doesn't do what he needs to do, um, that he will be dealt with uh, by the you know organization. And honestly, he's he's already told them once that if it gets if Mary gets in the way of their jobs, then um, he would solve the issue. Basically, definitely. Uh, yeah, it just it, it was a really big cliffhanger. I'm excited to see where it goes for the rest of the season. Like I'm not sure how long the season's going to be and where it's going to get to because well one, I don't know how long this manga is or anything, but um I'm interested to see if it gets wrapped up in a season or if we get a season 2. Yeah, and also uh that's like the one of the big uh the big most important things of the uh episode is that scene, but my favorite moment of the episode is when they actually get home. Um that we actually find out that it's Ray's birthday and he doesn't even remember it. And that's what they was working. Uh, that's what Kazuki and Mary was doing the whole day was setting up all his favorite foods and decorating the apartment that way uh, with the one goal and it's to make uh, Ray smile. Um, you want to, what, what happens when Ray gets home? Yeah. So uh, when Ray gets home, Mary's just passed out on the couch and, uh, you know, Kazuki wakes her up and she's in a daze, you know, it's like when you wake somebody up and they're half asleep and she just starts singing happy birthday to Ray and it's, it's fucking adorable, dude. Like yeah. it is fucking adorable. And you just see Ray crack this little smile. And, uh, you know, for me that really just went and showed that he does have something to protect and that is going to be the focal point of his character development going forward. What do you think about that? I think, I think it's the first time we've ever seen him smile. So, um, he is changing a little bit, I think. 
and um, I think that he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to have some big decisions coming up, I would assume, um, based on the cliffhanger uh, picture that we see. So, oh, Definitely. Well, awesome. That's kind of our look at this Buddy Daddy's episode. If you guys are listening, you haven't started the show. Like I know, like my hero and One Piece are huge. I would definitely recommend giving this a giving this a watch. It is very, it's very wholesome, but it also has great character development, and the plot's pretty good too, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. So, you want to move on to the big uh, section of the day? Yeah, so we're really excited about this. So in anticipation of AOT coming back with episode one of part 17 of the final season, <laughs> uh, we're going to be taking a look at four of our favorite episodes from AOT season four. Uh, you know, Tyler picked two and I picked two. We're going to give a little recap, kind of dive into them a little bit, you know, not too much. I'm hoping that you guys have all seen this because if you haven't, you're probably been living under a rock. And, and uh, you got to catch up on AOT. <laughs> and now's the time to mention that there's going to be heavy spoilers in for uh, season four. Uh, Tag on nah, time, so. these came out like a year and a half ago yeah. or 17 years y'all ago. Whatever at this point. It, so what are y'all doing? <laughs> y'all got like a week. So so uh, we we set them up in chronological chronological order. Funny enough, uh, Tyler grabbed the first two episodes and I grabbed the second two episodes. So. We're going to dive into them a little bit. Uh, you want to get us started with episode 67, Assassin's Bullet? Uh, yeah. So um, before, obviously before Assassin's Bullet, um, I'm going to give you all a little rundown on what happened. Um, so as we know, Aaron launched an attack on Marley, which forced Levi and the Survey Corps to join in on the attack. Uh, during that attack, Levi takes down Zeke, who is in Beast Titan form. Also, Aaron gains the Warhammer Titan abilities by eating Laura, the previous Warhammer Titan. We open up this episode by seeing Mikasa forcing Aaron, Aaron to retreat back to the airship, which I'm going to call the Choppa. Get to the Choppa! <laughs> yeah, get to the Choppa. Uh, <laughs> do you think this is a wise move for them to retreat at this time, Dan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was their goal, so... um Basically, in this episode, the whole premise of this is Aaron goes to Marley to confront Zeke. And basically, him and Zeke end up coming up with a plan to, you know, basically bring Eldia back to its former glory. Is so what we think. Um, so now that Levi has taken down the Beast Titan, uh, it just makes sense for them to retreat at that time. Um, but one thing Plus, I really... I think oh, they're just getting it. overwhelmed, too, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like 20 people against the entire military force of, you know, the capital city. But, like, in this battle, man, they just take them down. Like, they, between the Colossal Titan, Aaron, everyone, they, like, take down and kill, like, all the military leaders. Like, they leave Marley's military in shambles. Yeah, it was a, it was a great surprise attack, honestly. But so. getting into Assassin's Bullet, you know, they're retreating... Um, basically they get on the airship Laboff, who was one of the former commanders in the garrison legion actually joins the scouts and um, he decides to stay behind while everybody else gets on the ship to protect the rear and he runs into everybody's least favorite character 
there is Gabby. And yeah. Gabby actually shoots him and kills him. Mm-hmm. And wait, oh, go for it. And that makes, you know, and when he falls after she shoots him, she's able to actually get his uh, EDM gear and uh, get onto the chopper, basically. So. Yes. Uh, so in that scene, we see Gabby and Falco use Lobov's ODM gear to get up on the ship and. The first thing Gabby does is she just pulls out this rifle and shoots everybody's favorite potato girl straight in the chest. Poor oh, Sasha, no. dude. Which it, it was like when I first saw it, that scene was absolutely tragic, man. Like Sasha was such a fun character. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely hard for me, and it wasn't as hard the second time watching because obviously we know what's going to happen. But yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, we we see her shoot, and then we see. Uh, um, her try to shoot again and we see also john um trying to shoot back at her and falco actually saves her and john because she she was on target again she was going to take his head off as well so yeah definitely and uh after this you know we see G- john basically takes gabby and falco to the front of the ship where aaron is and he delivers the news that sasha was shot and uh, basically, Gabby overhears their conversation with Zeke about how this was all the plan and that now that they have a Titan of Royal Blood and the Founding Titan, you know, they can do some damage. And Gabby and Falco hear this, which comes into big play down the line in the series. But after that, you know, they come in, they let everybody know that Sasha died. And what you, would you think of the reactions to her death? Well, um, you know... Aaron, Aaron, I mean, obviously everyone else was sad, um, but it kind of shocked me, um, especially the first time watching it, because Aaron starts laughing like a madman, kind of, and then you can see it kind of turning into like an anger, angry grimace kind of deal going on. Um, so, and, and then I think John, I think, um, blames him. Is that correct? Or is it Connie yeah. that blames him? Uh it's I think it's Connie. I think it was Connie yeah. who blames him like this. Or it's one of them. It's this is your yeah. fault. Like why did you do this? Like why did we have to come save you? Yeah, and that's kind of what Levi is saying yeah. too. It's like you know, uh, you're... I guess it was kind of hard for Aaron honestly, hearing hearing his uh friends that he grew up with uh you know, tell him that so yeah, definitely. I think the focal point of this episode is, you know, Sasha's death and the um, effect that it has on everybody going forward. So, but um, you know, uh, this wouldn't be a Sasha death or a Sasha scene if uh, we didn't talk about food. And uh, what was her last words, Dan? Meat. <laughs> Meat. That, Absolutely that's gonna be tragic, my last dude. words, bro. Meat. <laughs> meat. On my deathbed, meat. <laughs> Give me meat. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I really like this episode. Um, it's pretty iconic because, like, like we said, Sasha dies in it. Unfortunately, we see the start of, like, uh, Gabby and uh, Gabby and Falco and wide Marley and... Or, the people of Marley um, hate the people of Parody Island. Uh, they do a really good job explaining that as well. Do um, you think anything else was uh, shown in this episode? 
No, I mean, yeah, I think those are the two big points. I mean, obviously, we see a lot of interactions between the characters based on the previous relationships we have, which is which is awesome to see, like Levi and Aaron, Levi and Zeke, um, all of that. But I think you want to move on to our next episode. We watch Savagery, which I actually picked out, not Tyler, my bad. Yeah. Uh, so after like between episode uh 67 and 73 uh there the uh levi takes zeke to a forest full of giant trees and gabby falco and aaron become imprisoned protests start happening everywhere because they think aaron is wrongfully uh uh imprisoned as well which sort of helps the jaegerist break aaron out of the set out of his cell and just to note, the uh, goal of Aaron and Diegaris is to get Aaron and Zeke to meet up. Also, at a different place, a restaurant, Niccolo, who who actually loves Sasha, tries to kill Gabby and Falco. And just in the nick of time, the survey corpse led by Hanji shows up to save them. But shortly after, Aaron and Diegaris swing by and take over the re- restaurant, capturing Hanji and the survey corpse. Which leads us to where we are now, uh, episode seventy-three, savagery. Um, Dan, let's start it off by talking about Aaron barging in on the roundtable meeting that Mikasa and Armin were having with Gabby. Aaron brings some heat to this conversation right away. Basically, sits there and tells Armin his will has been hijacked by Berto, the previous wielder of the Colossal Titan, which is why Armin still visits the Frozen Annie all the time. He then proceeds to tell Mikasa that she doesn't actually care about him and that she is wired this way due to her Ackerman blood. He even goes as far as to tell Mikasa that he hates her because she isn't free. The royal, this royally pisses off Armin, who attacks Aaron on side, and Aaron beats the shit out of him <laughs> and leaves before having no sense to be imprisoned. Yeah, so uh, this was like a really big scene, in my opinion, because... Yeah. These are these are our three main characters who have been friends for so long, man. Like, I mean, childhood friends from the start. I mean, it's been. I want to say four years since then in the timeline or three or four years. I can't remember if Aaron has three years left or four years left on his Titan. uh, I'm not sure either. But it's like just seeing him talk down to Armin and Mikasa like this just absolutely devastates them. And I mean, even to the point where Armin, who is not confrontational at all, just goes full berserk and just takes out his freaking, you know, just punches Aaron. Yeah. And which and then Aaron proceeds just to beat the crap out of him, like or beat the shit out of him, like a full on, you know? Yeah, and and the thing is, is like Aaron says all these uh, mean things to Mikasa, and we all know that Mikasa kind of loves Aaron, so. Um, I mean, I don't blame Armin for taking up for Mikasa at that point, so. Definitely. Yeah, and then after that whole scene, it goes on to showing Shadis training. Who's the head of the uh, recruit corps or whatever? I don't know what they're called. The recruits. And he's training some of the recruits. And the whole conversation gets hijacked by Flosh and the Jaegerist. And basically, they convince these recruits to join their side, saying that Aaron is the man who should lead the LD Empire, which is kind of the vibe that everybody's given in the town, anyways. But because um, he does what it does what it takes to you know 
after, especially after the attack on Marley, they really respect him, apparently, so. Definitely. But uh, he then commands these kids just to beat the shit out of Shadis, which I did not like, man. You know, Shadis is that guy. He's the he's he's such a dog the whole show. And it dives into his backstory a little bit down the line. But that scene just hurt to watch, man. Yeah. And then uh, we move on to like the Levi and Zeke um, uh, confrontation over here. Uh, we learn a few things about uh, what's going on. We learned that the wand is being passed around uh, to all the high-ranking officials and also some of the lower-ranking ones, I believe, as well. It actually has Zeke's spinal fluid in it. So, Yeah, I mean, that conversation happens after um, Zeke uses his Titan ability to turn all of Levi's comrades into Titans. And Levi just proceeds to fuck them all up, which is an awesome scene to watch. I mean, if you like Titan combat, you know, and you like Levi, this is a great scene for you to watch. But I just can't imagine how hard it would be to actually kill your comrades like that. Like, these are the people you've been with for so long. They're your friends, basically family at this point. And he just had to slaughter them all because they got turned into Titans. And, you know, at this time, there's no way to get them back from that. Yeah. And Zeke, uh, he was obviously shocked by it as well because he didn't think Levi had it in him. But we all know Levi. He's going to he's going to do. He hates Zeke so much that, you know, he he killed all his comrades to keep him from escaping. So definitely you want me to uh, I mean, after Zeke blows him up, I guess that's really just the end of the episode, right? Yeah. So they just uh, they uh, they end the episode with uh, a Thunder Spears and uh, stuck in Zeke's side, I think it is, and uh, hooked to his neck, I believe. Yeah, it's like if you do anything too drastic, um, you'll blow up. And so, what does Zeke do? He he blows Boom. him up. So, uh, I think that's about it for that episode. Uh, want to move on to Judgment, which is number seventy? No, that's seventy six. Yeah, seventy six. Okay, I got you. Let's move on to that. Uh, so what happens, uh, after, uh, the last episode and before this one, um, we see that Zeke obviously blows Levi and himself up A nearby Titan finds Zeke and puts him in their belly. Uh, reading that out loud reminds me of Austin Powers, bro. Get in my belly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. That uh, bastard, dude. The Titan didn't look like that bastard, though. No. I think it was a little, little scrawny, little like eight foot guy. But as I was watching, that's all I could think about. So, <laughs> um, so also the car Titan shows up and tells Aaron that she wants to join him, but it turns out to be a surprise attack. Her and the Jaw Titan attempt to defeat Aaron with the help of the approaching Marlene army. The war has finally started. Marlia versus Paradis and Aaron. So tell us what happens next, Dan. Yeah, so this 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 was an episode I love, man. Like this is what we're looking for. We want giant titan battles, and we get the start of one in this. We get the start of Aaron versus Reiner. Uh basically, you know, this this rivalry's been brewing since season two when they got betrayed. Um, you know, 
this is just like I said, one of my favorite Titan fights in this episode. Uh, so the episode starts with Floch finding the Titan that has swallowed Zeke and a dead Levi, dead in quotations, of course. Levi lying next to Riverbank, seeing the armored. Oh, I missed something. Sorry. Uh, basically, there's this whole confrontation there. Zeke somehow crawls out of this Titan after you know it absorbs a bunch of steam, which somehow heals his entire body magic yeah. you know at this point i wow. mean this is something with ymir molding his body in sand like it just makes no sense but that's kind of where the story goes with the power of the eldians but um after we see this whole scene you know um hanj and zeke just flop into the water into a you know roaring river to get away and oh, hanj hanj and levi oh sorry levi yeah, not yeah, zeke levi. my bad my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> we don't want to confuse them now. <laughs> a lot of names going on right now. A lot of names. But uh, so after that scene, it changes over to this massive fight that I was talking about. We see the armored John Cart Titan team up against Aaron. And, uh, you know, they get Aaron on the ropes here. Uh, basically, the jaw and armored Titan are holding him at bay. And the Cart Titan team with that massive anti-Titan rifle on its back, blows half his brain out, and he loses motor functions. But yeah. the one thing he can still do is use the power of the warm ha- war hammer Titan to just create massive spikes to keep his body protected. And honestly, I thought that uh, Aaron was doing a really good job against the armored and jaw Titan. I think he was he. I think he was shitting on him. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, Aaron, and, uh, I mean, the attack Titan is just jacked. Yeah. And a cart titan with the new uh, anti-tank cannons, um, which is a big thing for Marley. Um, they actually stopped him from, I think, killing um, one or both of the arm- armored and jaw titans. So, yeah, definitely. And then, uh, so this episode actually ends with I'm going to butcher his name, Ankyan Pawn. We're going to call him. Onya, Onya, Onya Kampo, or whatever it is, the uh, the Eldian, or sorry, the Marlian. Uh, I don't want to say slave because he's not a slave, but a uh, soldier who came over in one of the earlier ships, running down to the prison to let out the the Survey Corps because Aaron needs their help, and there's this whole concentration for that. But it kind of ends with just Aaron on the ropes here, and you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm kind of annoyed because I would have picked the next episode instead of this one because we get more Titan fights. <laughs> and that's what we're here for, baby. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, you want to move on to that episode? Uh, we didn't actually talk about that episode. We didn't have that one on here. Uh, oh, 77. Okay. Yeah, we didn't talk about 77. Um, gotcha. But going going back to 76, you know, just a lot happens. You see Zeke healed up, which means, you know, we're potentially going to see Zeke and Aaron come together and, you know, be able to use the power of the founding Titan. Uh, you know, Hans runs away with Levi. So Levi is going to come back. And I mean, that is the Titan hunter. Yeah, Levi so, is the main man. So down the line somewhere, we're probably going to see Levi back in at least partially fighting form coming yeah. in and trying to cut Aaron's head off knowing him. <laughs> Another thing that like uh, I want to hit on is during uh, Anya's Anya uh, release releasing the Survey Corps, um, Armin goes hard on defending Aaron. Uh, he say he basically says that he's trying to trick Yelena and Zeke, and tries to convince them that Aaron doesn't want to euthanize everyone um, or all the audience. 
Um, then I, they, I think Armin also asked Mika so what she wants to do and if she wanted to help Aaron. And, I, and she says that she wants to say yes, but doesn't know if that's her will or her blood's will. So obviously Aaron has gotten to her a little bit. So it's yeah, definitely seeing this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this whole story is just like the progression of their relationship is a big part of it. And it's no spoilers, but it continues to be a big part of it. Uh, yeah. But I was but kind awesome. of surprised that Armin like stood up for Aaron, especially after the last uh, episode that we discussed. So, yeah, definitely. I think um, deep down, you know, I think he thinks Aaron has a plan and he doesn't want to use all of Eldritch. You know, yeah. it makes sense. It's not who Aaron is, so. Alrighty. So, uh, I guess we can move on to the last episode that we got uh, for Attack on Titan recap. Um, it's called Episode 80 uh, from you 2,000 years ago. Um, so, what happens between the last episode and this episode? Um, to give you an idea, uh, the Survey Corps finally joined the battle, and Zeke shows up as well in Beast Titan form. Uh, both join Aaron's side. Um, as a result of Zeke getting hit in the nape from an anti-Titan cannon, he screams, uh, which results in everyone he drank the infected wine to turn into Titans. Uh, a little later on, Falco eats Porco, the jaw Titan, and then we have some big events to lead us to this episode. Aaron gets shot in human form by Gabby with an anti-Titan sniper rifle, which results in him being decapitated. But Zeke somehow manages to catch his, manages to catch Aaron's head, which makes them both go to the alternate dimension called the Pass. Aaron meets Ymir and then tries to control her and finds out that he can't due to not having royal blood. Zeke has been chained up this whole time, but now he takes the chains off and puts them on Aaron instead. Then tries to convince Aaron to go along with his plan. And the biggest thing that we learn is that Aaron can go back in the past and talk to and manipulate people into doing what he wants them to do. A lot has happened between these uh, couple episodes. But now let's talk about what really happens in episode 80 from you 2,000 years ago. Dan, what we got going on over here? Yeah, so the reason I picked this episode is that it has a really nice mix of history and plot building in it which uh you know it's crucial for the finale and the culmination of season four in this entire series uh basically the episode begins with aaron and zeke and grisha's memories uh, grisha is aaron's father uh in the last episode we get a recap of aaron manipulating his father's will which leads him to attack the royal family and take the founding titan after this you know grisha has a total meltdown asking aaron like why did you make me do this why won't you show me memories involving the attack on Shiganshima? And he just really wants to know if his wife, Carla, is okay. He then notices Zeke watching just in disbelief, and Grisha just confronts him, apologizing for being a terrible father, telling him that he loves him. This actually just like breaks Zeke and shatters him to the core. Uh, Tyler, how'd you feel about that scene, man? Um, like, we, we all... It was kind of like a big shock um, to see Aaron um, be able to like manipulate the past um, like he did. And I felt that it was kind of uh, bad to uh, do his dad like that, I guess you can say. 
um, making him kill uh, innocent people and stuff, and then uh, telling his dad that obviously Carla dies, um, gets eaten by a titan, actually. Uh, but I think, like, the... I mean, the Grisha just wants to be more of a father figure to Zeke as well. Uh, so it's just a it's just a messed up scene all around, honestly. Uh, what uh what we got what we got next after this? What what do you think about it all? Yeah, I mean, like I said, man, that scene it it just hurts to see Zeke feel like that. Um, yeah even though, you know, he wants to basically take down Eldia, but you got to feel for the guy. I mean, I can't imagine having your father who you thought betrayed you tell you that you, he loves you. Um, that would just absolutely break me. Um, yeah. But after this scene, basically, Aaron pulls Zeke out of Grisha's memories, and they're having a conversation at the coordinate pointer paths. Uh, Zeke, in a panic, commands Ymir to take away the ability for Eldians to reproduce essentially ending the Titan path line and saving the world from Titans. Uh, she begins moving to the coordinate point to make this happen. Through Aaron's determination, he breaks both his thumbs, escapes the shackles he's been placed in, and chases Ymir down. He embraces her and tells her that this is all her decision to make, whether to end the Eldian bloodline or to let Aaron handle the situation and save the Eldian Empire. Um, this leads to a whole flashback of her life as a slave under the original King Fritz, where, you know, you just kind of get some history. Basically, it shows her uh, she gets blamed for letting a pig out and is yeah. hunted to kill her. And it takes her down into a tree where she somehow comes in contact with, I guess, the original Titan spine. It's it, They don't really explain it when she yeah, comes just, in contact it like a mysterious shiny monster because uh, <laughs> Well, it, it looks really it say, looks like a you know? spine, you know. It has like yeah. a long spine to it, and you'll see it later in the episode. But uh, basically, that comes in contact with her and gives her the power of a titan. And King Fritz just uses her to destroy nations left and right, which is why everybody is so afraid of the Eldian Empire. Um, after that, you know, King Fritz basically says that you're going to have my children, and we are going to continue this to rule the world. Uh, in the end. She dies from getting a spear thrown through her chest. I'm not sure if it's because of that or if it was like her seven years were up kind of thing. Like, we uh, don't really know because most Titans can, most Titan users can survive getting hacked in half, you know? So, like, she shouldn't die from that. Yeah, I don't know. I think they was just uh, trying to hit home the point of that she's always uh, trying to help others no matter what. So even though this man has, like, used her and abused her all this time, I mean, she still thinks that she has to save him um, from, you know, getting killed, which goes to show you who Ymir actually is. So De Definitely. And at the end of the flashback, you know, basically, he chops up her body and feeds it to his children to uh, make sure the Titan powers are transferred, hopefully. And that's when they learn that eating the spine can make that happen. So it's all in the spinal fluid, which makes sense because that monster looks like a giant spine. Um, but yeah, were there any other points of the flashback that really stuck out to you? Or was it just more Ymir as a whole, you know, and the type of person she was? I think I think it just made us see who Ymir actually was. Uh, I, I really didn't like that he made the kids eat her. 
all of her or whatever. Uh, that that's crazy. But I mean, he was a uh, king or whatever you want to call him, and he did see them as slaves. So uh, definitely, you know. Uh, but another fun fact uh, is that the three daughters that she has, their names was Maria, Rose, and Cena. So that's a that's the walls. Yeah, no, it was definitely an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, after this, basically, Ymir makes her decision, and we see the original Titan spine from that flashback that fused with Ymir connect Aaron's decapitated head back to his body. There's a massive flash of lightning, and the founding Titan has been awakened in its full power. Aaron comes out of this thing looking menacing, man. He is a giant serpent, psycho, giant spine monster thing. Uh, the walls of parody start falling and hundreds of colossal titans begin their march to destroy the world. Aaron uses the power of the founding titan to communicate with the Eldians, let them know what's going on, that he plans on trampling the entire world to protect paradise, leaving only Eldians alive. Uh, yeah, this is an awesome episode. It really just gives a recap of the entire series and whole kind of brings some of that history in because it, it goes from survival to a really big world building story in season four which i liked um but basically after after this we see the remaining scouts try and determine the best course of action to stop aaron save the world and uh, i've read the manga guys let me tell you this is a great ending it's we're, we're in for a treat with these next two long episodes so yeah and uh now we can say the rumbling officially begins yes sir <laughs> well um is that all we got dan yeah, uh, I guess the only other thing I'd like to say, too, is a uh, fun fact. This episode is called From You 2000 Years Ago. And the first episode of Attack on Titan is actually called To You 2000 Years From Now. Yeah. So yeah. they tied it in really well at the end there. I'm pretty excited. Uh, next week, I believe uh, we're going we're gonna to have a really good time with the first uh, episode of the last few parts. So. Oh, definitely, dude. Yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully they don't butcher this. So. Nah, they won't. They won't. They won't let that happen. That's why it's taking so long. <laughs> that's what that's what we're gonna say anyways. Well, um, everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Anime DGN's podcast. Make sure to drop us a follow on your go to podcast platform. If you'd like to support the podcast, leave us a review. It's the best way to uh, help us out. And tell your friends also. Uh, to stay up to date with the DJs, make sure to click our link tree in the bio to follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and join our Discord, which is the best place to communicate with us. Um, again, we appreciate you hanging out with us. And as always, stay degenerate.